want you to just think for a minute. I want you to think and go back to your conversion experience. You know, those hours or those days where God was working in your life and opening up your mind and your and your heart. That, that time where you came and, and trusted and received Him as your Lord and Savior. I want you to go back there in your mind to think how wonderful it was. That, that time when you trusted Christ as your Savior and Lord. When you were convicted over your sin, you understood that you deserved the judgment of God. His, his wrath was dangling over you, yet you saw Christ for who He is. You saw that though you deserved God's judgment, He loved you so much He gave his son for you, and you embraced him, you trusted in his death, burial, and resurrection. You trusted in his righteousness. And so you repented of your own. You realized that compared to him, your righteousness was filthy rags. It would never give you any entrance into the presence of God, and you needed Christ. And so you trusted him and you embraced him. You realized that he was born in your life. Maybe in the days and weeks and soon after that, you you need to change. You stop doing certain things like I did. And I'm not going to go over the litany list, okay? You can imagine, you know, kind of like you in this area for sure. We're sinners. And so there are things we begin to turn from. Maybe certain attitudes. Maybe when you talk to people, maybe instead of you, maybe you have that kind of a personality or kind of temperament that you swore a lot. Some of us swore like sailors. You know, every other word, we have all these adjectives that come along with it. You began to change. That change was only not stopping doing certain things, but you began to take on new things. You started some new disciplines. All of a sudden, you started reading your Bible. You kind of gained interest. You want to read your Bible now, something you never did before or wanted to do before. You began to memorize scripture. I can remember going through Walmart or a grocery store with verses in my memorizing scripture while waiting in line to check out. We're in the car, which I, I have in my truck today. Verses out of Second Peter chapter one that I well, you get the longer it takes to memorize, but I still try to do it. And those things were fun. You really enjoyed them. You got involved in a local church. So all of a sudden, within days and weeks and months after coming to Christ, man, everything was really sweet. You remember those days? I remember the first couple of years of my Christian life. It was this is one word is sweet. I went to where like Bibles. It was sweet. I went to Tennessee Temple, it was sweet. But time passed. Without warning, sinful thoughts popped up again. Not that there weren't any, but, but they reared their ugly head. Some old ones, some were new ones. Because maybe, maybe you rubbed shoulders with the church, and all of a sudden you saw the, not everyone in churches, maybe like I am. Not everyone in church is going really interested in Jesus. Or they act a certain way, and you saw that there were other people that were different from you, and that all of a sudden it affected the way you thought. And, and with that thinking, with those thoughts, maybe would go to think negatively about that person. And, and so as time passed, without warning, sinful thoughts, not just towards others, but in life in general, maybe lustful thoughts, prideful thoughts, arrogant thoughts, begin to really try to come in once again. Not that they really ever left. You know what I mean? They didn't really totally love. All of a sudden, they kind of reared its ugly head again. Temptations crept back in, into the picture. And that's how I realized something. Evil was still there with me. Evil was still there. Have you ever been there? As a Christian, 
Yes. Sweet yourself up probably first place. Maybe you were seven or eight or nine or ten. Maybe you were like me, you know, a little older, or maybe you were 19, 20, 21, or maybe 30 when you first trusted Christ. And, 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 and for a while it was real sweet, and then all of a sudden reality began to sink in again. A little sin nature was there. Right? An old self crept up. Now talk to me. You been there? You understand what I'm talking about? Because that's where we're going this morning. That's what we're going to deal with. You see, at this point in life, when this happens, many people are not prepared. Many people get confused. They get frustrated. They get discouraged. They're, they're, they're never told, they're never warned that this is the reality of the Christian walk. That though you desire to follow Christ, you're going to face opposition, not from the world. I'm not talking about opposition from out there. Talk about, I'm not talking about opposition from anything outside. We're going to face an opposition from within. Are you, are you with me? We're never taught how to cope with it. We're never taught how to deal with it. Scripture with that is. But our passage this morning, Paul begins to tell us what to do. So I want to read our passage together. In Ephesians chapter 4, it's the same passage as 17 through 24, but this morning we're going to focus on the last three verses this morning. 22, 23, and 24. So let's stand together and read again 17 through 24. But we're really, this morning's sermon is going to hone in on the last three verses. Verse 17 of Ephesians 4. So this I say and affirm together with the Lord, that you walk no longer, just as the Gentiles also walk, as unbelievers walk in the futility of their mind. That's how they walk. They also walk being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of ignorance that is in them. Because of the hardness of their heart. And they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. But you did not learn Christ in this way. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus. That, in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of the sea, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord God, I praise you for this passage and many others that are like it, that say the same thing, but in a different way. Because this really hits home, God. This is, this is what happens within us. This is what you call us to do. This is our involvement in sanctification. To shut off the old and to replace it with new. In the process, renewing our minds for this very purpose. So that we would walk in a manner worthy of our calling to be your child. That's where each one of us is at. Every Christian is here in these verses. No one is exempt. God, I praise you. I thank you for putting this here. It is a comfort to our heart and our souls. It, it kind of keeps us from being confused, wondering why we still struggle with sin and, and, and conviction and why we still struggle with temptation. It's because this is a real part, a very real part of our walk with you. So God, as your servant, please help me to explain faithfully your word. So it is a comfort to your people, to the sheep of your master. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I'm going to go ahead and simply begin where we kind of left off last week. and begin in verse 20 and 21. It all begins with where you learned Christ, or how, I should say, excuse me, how you learned or what you learned about Christ. Notice he says in verse 20 and 21, but you did not learn Christ 
in this way. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus. And that statement is meant for them to think, yeah, we learned him right. In other words, in order to understand this, you have to have the right foundation about who Christ is. The right foundation of the gospel. Now, I want to park there for a minute because there's a lot of versions out there. A lot of versions of the gospel. There's a lot of misunderstanding about the gospel. There's a lot of people who treat Jesus as an insurance policy, for example, and we've talked about that. He's just a savior. He's not Lord. You didn't repent. You just believed. But the true gospel is a call to repentance. True saving faith has as its primary characteristic repentance. In other words, you stop relying on your good works to get you to heaven. But you also want to turn from all the bad works that you do. That's repentant. And you spend a lifetime doing that. We are repenters. And a good word to describe a Christian. But you did that because you turned. You're turning from your sinful lifestyle. You're, you're, you're turning from the good things you've done. And you're turning to Christ. You place your trust in Him. You're not trusting yourself anymore. You're trusting Christ. You trust in His righteousness. His life, his work on the cross, his sacrifice. That's the foundation Paul is referring to here. This is how we learn Christ up front. I believe what Paul's saying in verse 20, he says, when you first believe, you heard correctly, you heard right. As a matter of fact, Paul spends Ephesians chapter 1 and 2 describing who we are in Christ, all the blessings that we have in Christ based on what he has done. So he's referring in verse 20 and 21 to the first time they heard and what they learned about Christ. Up front, hopefully, when you heard the truth about Jesus, it was what you heard was the truth about Jesus. Excuse me. But as a result, something begins to take place. You also learn when you trusted Christ that to trust Christ did that you desire to follow him. That you daily take up your cross, but you deny yourself, take up your cross and follow him. That's what true saving faith does. That's the characteristic of true saving faith, right? It's not just, I believe. I believe it's a fact. No, he's a real person. And, and I want to daily deny myself, take up my cross, and follow after him. It's being a disciple. Hopefully you understood that when you first trusted Christ as your Savior. A lot of people don't hear that so much later on down the road, but that should be part of the good news, the gospel message. Is that true saving faith is faith that is a faith that wants to follow, desires to follow. And that's why I started out this morning and desire to want to follow, you, you, you incur different obstacles, right? But not out, obstacles outside of you, but here and here. And that's what Paul's referring to in our passage this morning. Now that Christ is your Savior and Lord. Now that He is your foundation, you desire to live for Him. That's what's going on in chapters 4, 5, and 6. In 1, 2, and 3, this is who you are in Christ. 4, 5, and 6, this is how it affects the way you live. Yet that's all Paul is doing here. In essence, Paul is saying, you're called to be God's child, now live that way. In chapter 4, verse 1, for example. Therefore, I, the prison of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling. Remember, that Greek word for walk means live your life. Conduct yourself now. Live it out. You're a new creature in Christ, in other words. Okay? Act, it, act that way now. That's really what Paul's doing here. We see it again in verse 17 of chapter 4. So this I say and affirm together with the Lord that you walk. There it is. You live. You conduct yourself no longer as an unbeliever. That's 
how the term Gentile should be interpreted in this context. And he explains their character, why they walk in their sinful, unbelieving way, 18 and 19. But I love he turns the tables on them in verse 20, but you. That's emphatic, by the way, we explained that last week. But you, I'm talking about you, Paul's saying. You're Christians, you're new creatures in Christ. You don't live that way. But you, because you did not learn Christ in that way. We park it right there. I had to spend a few minutes in verse 20 and 21 explaining what that means because there's this version of the gospel that's called easy believism, cheap grace, which I mentioned before that says, oh yeah, if we just get someone to say the sinner's prayer, we get them into the kingdom of heaven. Oh. No. May they say a sinner's prayer. Yeah, that's not what we're looking for. We're looking for a broken and contrite heart over the sinfulness. We're looking for someone who falls in love with Christ. That's the meat and potatoes of crusading faith, right? Anybody can walk down the aisle. Anyone can say a sinner's prayer. But do we look at what's going on in the heart? When the Spirit of God enters into the heart of man and they're born again, there will be that fruit of repentance and crusading faith. It will show itself. That's why we preach the whole gospel up front. That Jesus is not just Savior, but He is Lord. He is calling to redeem you, but He's calling you to follow Him as well. And that's where we're at. Paul saying, you're my child. You're a follower of mine. And so let's talk about it, chapter 4. Let's talk about how to walk. Let's walk in unity. Chapter 4, verse 1, with the body of believers. Now, verse 17, now let's, let's walk differently. Let's walk worthy. What does that look like, by the way? Where's where we come to verses 22, 23, and 24? What's a worthy walk look like? Here's what it looks like. I haven't sinned in weeks. No. I don't really struggle with sin anymore. Breathe. No. There are people out there promoting that. Right? There's a holiness movement out there. It says, I don't sin anymore. I can't remember the last time I said it. That's false. If that was true, Paul wouldn't be writing about this. Would he? Now that you are Jesus Christ, now that he is your Lord and Savior, now that he is your foundation, you desire to live for him. And Paul's saying, you're called to be God's child, now live that way. And he says in 22, 23, and 24, three things. Lay aside the old self, verse 22. Renew the spirit of your mind, 23. And put on the new self, 24. Real simple, isn't it? Three things. Get those three things. Put off, renew, put on. Isn't that really simple? But here's the kicker. It ain't easy. In fact, it's what I call the daily grind of the believer. What? That doesn't sound very encouraging. The daily grind? Yes. However, we are not called to happiness. We're called to wholeness. Aren't we? And we're talking not, I'm, I'm happy. I am so joyful because I am justified. But Paul's not talking about that here. He's talking about the Christian life and sanctification. He's already talked about justification in chapter 1 and 2. That is my joy. My Redeemer lives. He died for me. I'm going to heaven. I'm secure. I'm eternal life. But now, because of him, I want to 
live for him, and walk for him on a daily basis. And that's where the daily grind sets in. This will make more sense a little bit later on. Paul, the simplest way, in a very general describes our part in sanctification in 22, 23, and 24. Oh, in the next couple of weeks, we get to 25 through 32, he goes from general to specific. He's making a general statement in 22, 23, and 24, and then beginning in the next verse of 26, excuse me, yeah, 25, excuse me, when he says, lay aside falsehood, he's getting saved. Here's what it looks like in the nitty-gritty, everyday part of life. When I talk about putting off and putting on, let's talk about your words. Let's talk about your attitude. Let's talk about forgiveness. Oh, wait for the next couple of weeks when we go through that step by step. But for this morning, I wanted to give you the big picture of why Verses 22, 23, and 24, while so simple, is not easy. Therefore, basically, the rest of the sermon is very topical, if you may. I warned you about that last week. Let me give you four reasons why it's not so easy. I want you to write these down. Four reasons why it's not so easy. Then I'm going to give you seven ways to help to equip you to deal with it. Okay? Let's look at these four. First, Romans 7, 14 through 21. Number one, the reason why it's not so easy is because there's a principle of sin that it dwells you. Turn with me to Romans chapter 7. Verse 14. This is, by the way, chapter, uh, chapter 7, 14 through 25, could be called Paul's autobiography. Paul's autobiography is each one of ours biography, by the way. And what Paul is sharing with us is his own personal struggle with sin as he looks to the law. He looks to the law and he always sees how he falls short. Look at verse 14. Romans chapter 7. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am a flesh sold in the bondage of sin. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For I am not practicing what I would like to do, but I am doing the very thing I hate. But if I do the very thing I do not want to do, I have agreements with the law confessing that the law is good. I look at the law, let's just pick number 10, for example, thou shalt not covet. Think about the last week or two. Have you ever coveted anything? It's Christmas time, come on. <laughs> a new car, a new, you know, a new dress, a new this or that. He's confessing that the law is good. Why is the law good? Because it exposes my sinfulness, exposes my coveting, exposes my lying. The, the law exposes my greediness. The law exposes my sinfulness in general. Notice verse 17. Notice what he says. So now no longer am I the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. This only makes sense when you understand Paul's theology and how he looked at himself as a new creature in Christ. As he said, this is not this is not the real me anymore. I am a new creature in Christ. I am born again. He uses the terminology new creature in Colossians. He uses it in 2 in Corinthians. You're a new creature in Christ. Old things pass away. Behold, new things have come. We're a new creature. Listen, let me get this up straight with you. We are not schizophrenics. Where you've got the old man over here and the new man over here and you're like this all the time. No, no. You are a new creature in Christ. And then ask the question, well, then why do I struggle so much? Because you have the residue of the old man hanging on. And that's what Paul's saying here. I find this principle. Look at verse 21. 
I find in the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wants to do good. I want God's law. I want to please Him. He's my dad. He's my father. But 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 I, I realize as I walk daily, I still have this residue of this flesh hanging on. Listen, the old man's crucified. The old man's dead. You are new in Christ. But the vestiges of the old man is still hanging on. That's why you struggle. That's why you struggle. So when we go to Ephesians chapter 4 where we're in, he says, put off. It's not that easy, is it? Because it has its own set of rules. It has its own set of wants. Its own set of desires, which are contrary to me as a new creature of Christ. How else could he say in verse 17, so now no longer I the one doing it? Right? What do you mean, Paul? He's a new creature. See, I am in Christ. This is not what I want to do, but I, but this sin which is in me, verse 21, there's a principle there that evil is present in me, the one who wants to do good. But yet, verse 22, I joyfully concur. I agree with the law of God in the inner man. I see a different law that members of my body waging war. There it is. Yeah, when you're at war, are you happy? I mean, come on. This is what I call the nitty gritty. This is the grind. Waging war against the law of my mind, making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my members. And then he says, 24, wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? So in this situation, Paul sees his shares intimately the struggle that he has. I want you to notice something. Where does Paul go at this moment? He doesn't say, wretched man that I am, I gotta pull up my bootstraps and move forward. Wretched man that I am, I gotta do better and work harder. You better believe he doesn't go there. What does he do? The reason why I want to point out to you, because what we need to do is we're like him, right? His autobiography is our biography. What he's sharing is what we all would are like. Who will set me free from the body of this death? When and how will I be released from this body? Because as long as I'm in this body, I'm gonna have to struggle. I'm gonna struggle with the thought towards so and so. I'm going to struggle with this personality or that personality. I'm going to struggle with these thoughts and those thoughts. I'm going to struggle to love people that are unlovable, even though God called me to love them. I'm going to struggle with the local church. I'm going to struggle here and there. I'm not, you know, I'm going to struggle with people when I don't agree with them. I'm going to struggle, struggle, struggle. How am I going to love them in this body? It's always going to be the case. Who will set me free? Verse 25, the answer, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then on the one hand, I myself with my mind am serving the law of God. That's a believer, by the way. It's a believer. But on the other hand, with my flesh, this flesh is always serving the law of sin. It doesn't know how to do that. It's the vestiges of the old man still hanging around. Number one. So number one, it's not easy because of flesh. Excuse me, it's not easy because of the principle of evil, which is present in me. Romans chapter 7, done, solidified. It's there. Deal with it. Not that way, but you know what I mean. So God says. How about number two? It's not easy because the flesh wages war against the spirit. Go to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5, verse 17. For the flesh sets its desire against the spirit. The spirit who indwells you. The spirit who's made you alive unto Christ. It's because of the spirit you are a new creature. So you're there, right? You're a new creature in Christ. But notice what it says. The flesh sets its desire against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. For they are in opposition to one another. If you don't feel this opposition, we need to talk to you about the gospel. Opposition is good here in this context, right? 
Man, if you don't struggle with sin, you're most likely absent the void of the Holy Spirit. You're most likely not born again. But I want you to notice the broader context here. This is really not in the context of personal sin, but in relationships. Uh-oh. Oh, that's where it is. Back up to verse 13. It's really important to understand where these biblical principles are couched in. For if you are called to freedom, brethren, only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh. The flesh wants to do it. Think of flesh as selfishness, self-centeredness, right? The flesh, the sin, it's just selfishness. If there's one word that describes a sinner, it's, it's self-absorbed, it's self-interest, it's, it's all about them, it's all about me. But I'm free in Christ. No, Paul says, don't turn your freedom from sin. Okay? It's an opportunity to do what you want to do. Into serving yourself, but through love serve one another. Ah. We look at context here, don't we? Verse 15, but if you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. If we are saved, and it's all about me, then I'm going to have issues the rest of my life in the body of Christ. Right? Well, I'm free. I do what I want. No. God says, yes, I freed you from sin, but I didn't free you to do what you want to do. I freed you so that you can do what I want you to do. And I want you to be my servant. And I want you to serve others, first and foremost, in the body of Christ. This is all in the footsteps of Jesus, right? And if you don't have that attitude, if you don't want to be a servant, then this is what's going to happen. Inevitably, verse 15 will happen. You're going to end up biting and devouring each other and relationships just go out the window. You consume one another. Now, verse 16. But I say, in contrast, in contrary to that sinful, selfish, fleshly attitude, I say walk by the Spirit. Because the Spirit will lead you always to serve. And to serve Christ, Christ's way. See, we serve the body of Christ the way Jesus wants to serve his body, not the way I want to serve his body. Not the time the way I want to serve you is not the way Jesus wants me to serve you. Why would you be in his book? Right? So you're not carrying out the desire of the flesh. And here's the point, verse 17, for the flesh says it's desire against the spirit, the spirit against the flesh. But be led by the spirit from verse 18. Number one, the reason why it's not easy, it's so difficult, is Romans chapter 7, the principle that evil is still present in me. And number two, it's not easy because the flesh wages war against the spirit. Galatians 5. Number three, this putting on and putting off is not easy because I am still in this world. 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. Verse 15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. That world, by the way, verse 17, is passing away, along with his lust. But the one who does the will of God lives forever. The reason I brought number three into the picture, into the fray, is because the world teams up with my flesh. Right? My flesh has, it does not, it does not work alone, it has an ally that rallies to it. It's called the world and its ways. There's one thing about the world today, particularly today, I think, more than ever before, it's always vying for your time. If they can cram a little bit of information into your life and into your brain, it is happy to do so. You need to know more information. More knowledge and more information is power. 
there's greater control, and they try to sell us that bill of goods. But you know what all that does? It displaces time with God. It creates the tyranny of the urgent. I better get my to-do list done. I tell you what, for me, if I don't start the morning with my quiet time, I will not get it done for the rest of the day. And by the time it's the end of the day, I'm so tired, it's not much of one week when I try. And there's times I've done that. I'll be honest with you. If I just surf the internet for a while, I look into that and that, and I hope I'm meddling. I know where I'm meddling. I'll talk to me. It's my autobiography. Right? Paul has his, I got mine, very similar. The world wants to increase our to do list, it wants to cram information down our throats. It sells us this lie, this, this bill of goods that says the more you know, the more powerful control you are in your life. You know what? I don't want to be in control of my life. I want Jesus to be in control of my life. Which leads to number four, and it takes us back into Ephesians, our passage. Ephesians 4, number four. It's not easy because my flesh is still being corrupted. Think about it. It's still being corrupted. It's still being influenced. Ephesians 4, 22. That you lay aside the old self, which is, present tense, being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit. TV shows appeal to my flesh. The internet appeals to my flesh. It continually corrupts it over and over and over again. Even good information, even just listening to, I'm not saying listening to the news is bad, but I can get overdose of it. Just be aware of the overdose. Don't be aware. It's not wrong to be informed. I'm not saying that. But the temptation is to be overdosed with it. Okay? This be careful, use discernment, be wise. So now that we know there's four, there's others, I just came up with these four reasons why putting off and putting on is not so easy. Let me give you seven reasons or seven ways to, to encourage you, to equip you to do this exercise of putting off and putting on. Seven of them. I call them biblical disciplines. Okay? Biblical disciplines. Remember now, remember, the word discipline comes from the word disciple. And as Christians, we need to encourage one another in the area of self-discipline, how we spend our time, how we spend our money, how we do things. And does that make sense? That's what we do. We, we've got, we're going to see that just a minute. Number one, first and foremost, recognize what all God has done for you. Remind yourself daily how much God loves you. Preach the gospel to yourself. I can never say that enough. What did Paul do back in Romans chapter 7? After he realized, after he shared his own experience, the struggle with his own sinfulness, he said, Wretched, who's going to deliver me from this? What did he went to the gospel? Look, go back there for a second. It's something so powerful. Have you ever cried over your own sinfulness? Have you ever wept alone? God, oh God, God just convicted you because you were in a sin pattern and it was just, you just been broken over it. I hope you've been there. I've been there on many occasions. You can be ashamed. Discouraged, or whatever. Let me encourage you. The first thing you need to do is recognize all that God has done for you in Christ. Recognize that He demonstrated His love for you in sending His Son to die for you. Everyone in this room has blown it. I can say that with utmost confidence. I mean, everyone. Okay, we're in this together, folks. I want to point out something here in Romans. Verse 1 of chapter 8. I do not think there should really be a chapter break there at all. Actually, they're not inspired, right? It's so profound. 
Because what he says in chapter 8, verse 1, is based upon what he just described in chapter 7. It says, therefore, because of what I just wrote, there is now, not tomorrow, not yesterday, but in this moment, excuse me, get excited, in this moment, when you find yourself struggling with sin, and you know it's there, and you're weeping and you're crying, you either feel lost, maybe so bad you feel like, I'm going to be saved, I've wanted so much. You ever been there? But notice what Paul says. Therefore, there is now, in this context, in this wretched condition of finding sin in my life, right now there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. He's saying that even when I find myself in a wretched, sinful condition, I'm still back in him. That's what? That's grace. Do you grasp that? What, Paul, are you doing here? He's preaching the gospel to himself. Then alone with God, with your tears, with your heartache over your own sinfulness, and just let God pour the gospel into you. Take a few fighter verses, I like to call them. Memorize a couple of verses, verses about the gospel. Chapter 8, verse 1, a good one to memorize. There is therefore now, no, and say that to yourself when you're crying and weeping over your brokenness of sin, and you feel unworthy to be called his child in that moment. And quote, God, to yourself. Right now, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Wow. That's number one. Recognize what God has done for you. Preach the gospel to yourself. And I think Romans 8, verse 1 is a beautiful example for Paul himself after expressing and sharing with us his autobiography struggle with sin. Number two, use what God has already given you. Know that God has given you everything pertaining to life and God. It is 2 Peter chapter 1. Oftentimes when I struggle, I say, God, only if you would give me, only if you would do this. And so God is saying, wait a minute, I remember God's word in 2 Peter. God's like, I've given you everything you need. You lack nothing, Jim. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Seeing that his divine power has granted or given to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. Sanctification, that's what we're talking about, right? This is when a child of God who's justified by the righteousness of Christ, right? We're just for a holy God. We're talking about the context of struggling in our walk with Christ, struggling against sin, our sanctification. This is the nitty-gritty. This is the grind, right? This is where we find ourselves. What do we do? Because in those moments, first of all, I need to preach the gospel to myself, but second time, my mind plays with me, and I begin to ask God for things that I think I need, that I'm lacking, and God reminds me of his word, no, Jim, you're not lacking. I've given you everything you need, verse 3. That his divine power has given me everything pertaining to life and godliness. He's given you everything you need to walk the Christian walk through the true knowledge of him who calls us by his own glory and excellence. For by these things he has given his grandiose, his precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers of divine nature. So you have these things, you're a partaker of the divine nature. That's incredible. Word. You notice what he says, verse 5. Now, for this very reason, also apply all diligence. Make every effort that means. Be determined. In your faith, supply moral excellence. Let's stop right there. And then we don't supply moral excellence, and as a result, we do something immoral. What do you do? It's not that God didn't give you what's necessary. It's that I didn't pick it up. 
music right. But then I had a Heavenly Father who loved me and sucked for me. So in that moment, I don't just, like, I'm tempted to shrivel up and walk away and be so embarrassed. You know what I mean? Right? I want to see this. We're reminded, God, this is my fault. This is the sake of I've lacked in my responsibility now. You, you justified me, but I've got this responsibility on my walk with you, and I've really blown it. God said, I know something. Or knowledge. And your knowledge self control. I lost myself, I lost my control. So this hurt in that area is equal one. In self control, perseverance. In your perseverance, godliness. In your godliness, brotherly kindness. In your brotherly kindness, love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. My whole point here, number two, is God has equipped us with everything we need for life and godliness. Everything we need for the Christian walk, the Christian life. Which leads to number three, the Bible. The reason I picked this out, it's not the only one, because it's the only offensive weapon. Ephesians chapter 6, right? It's the sword of the Spirit. It's the only one we take and use offensively. Not that they get your attention anymore. But where do you yield it first and foremost? Let me see what Dorothy's doing wrong. I'll quote a couple verses for her. No, don't do that attitude whatsoever. Okay? I can smack. I tried that. Doesn't work. Believe me. Years ago, I tried it. It does not go over well. What's Ron doing? I mean, it's it again. No. How do you get your word to convict me or comfort me? God, I need comfort. I need encouragement. Because 4.12 tells us how powerful it is. It comes to the quick, I like to say. It goes to the marrow. It goes to the soul. It goes as deep as possibly can get. And changing from the inside out. Look at the fourth one. Here's another one. So getting into the word of love this one. Number four, and this is a big one. We are to starve our flesh. If you're getting into the word of God and you are not starving your flesh, you're, you're, not, you're, you're missing a cylinder. What do I mean by that? Where does that come from? First of all, Romans 13, 14. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh. 14, uh, 13, 14, excuse me. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regards to its lust. Don't provide for it. If you need, don't provide for the eyes to look or the feet to go to places where you know you're going to be tempted and you're going to fall. If you've got a weakness, stay away from that. What provides for that weakness? That makes sense. And, and never have the attitude that I can handle it. Pride comes before what? Fall. Before that falls. Starve your flesh. It wants to feed. Right? It wants to feed. It's hungry. Cut off this food supply. Cut it off. Cut off the internet. Cut off the cable. Cut off whatever you've got to do to cut it off for it so it's not fed. Starve it. That's the idea there. Get accountability. There's just practical things we can do. I do it. Covet it eyes. Works for cell phones. It works for the internet. It works for computer. Just use it. Even if it's not a struggle, it's cheap. Use it anyway. Because the temptations are coming. I get these stupid junk emails. It really frustrates me. Don't you think you might better go there once and say, 
Não tanto para a igreja da idade, para o povo de novo, né? This definition of righteousness, this definition of holiness, this standard, this means a lot. Number five. Here's another one. Second Corinthians chapter 25. Here's another double discipline. We can talk captive to the obedience of Christ. Second Corinthians 10 5. Write that one down. Second Corinthians 10 5. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God and We are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. How do you do that? Well, be in the Word. Memorize Scripture. Spend time daily with God. If you go day, when I go days without God, I'm not going to bring every thought captive to Him. I'm going to be weaker in that area. I'm less, less prone to do it. The further away I am from Him, the less I'm going to think about Him. So when those bad thoughts come, I'm not going to go to Him with them. I'm going to kind of like try to handle it on my own. That's why we stress daily quiet time. We are to bring every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Bring it under, the idea is to bring it in submission to Him. Jesus, what do you think about what I'm thinking about right now? I got thoughts about this person. Are they good? Are they wholesome? Do they please you or not? Huh? 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 There we go. Uh oh. Okay. Why? Because I don't want those thoughts to turn into actions or turn into words that might hurt that person or turn into an attitude even. You know, we could sit without using words. I could sit definitely without using words, without even acting. I could sit with an attitude. Right? No. Number six. You know what? This is where we should be parking daily. Confess your sin. Confess your sin daily. I often pray. God, I always keep me sensitive to my own sinfulness. What does that look like? Well, when he does, I'm quick to ask for forgiveness. I'm quick to confess it. And if necessary, if God wants, I go and ask for forgiveness. Sometimes it's just simple thoughts. Sometimes it's a bad attitude. First John 2 1. I love this verse. Write down first John 2 1. My little children. Don't you love the sweetness of that? We're always God, little children. How old are we? How old are you? The oldest person in this room, I know it is, won't say that. But my mom's a little child before God. She loves it. My little child, I'm writing these things to you that we that you may not sin, and if but that's great, we may not sin. However, look at the rest of the next sentence. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Go together. Don't go to Mary. Don't go to Billy. Go directly to God. That's why if you confess your sins, he's faithful just to give you a new sin. Number seven. This is the last one. Approach your life as a marathon runner or a boxer or some kind of athlete. Where does that come from? I want to incorporate this. We don't talk about it a whole lot, but we should. First Corinthians chapter nine. First Corinthians chapter nine. Paul had this attitude of an athlete. He even mentioned it to Timothy in Second Timothy chapter one. No, chapter two. He talks about being an athlete. Okay. He talks about a soldier who's not entangled himself in the affairs of his life. He didn't get so bogged down in life that he forgets about God or his walk with Christ. He also talks about being an athlete and discipline and running by the rules. But here he talks about the discipline of the athlete. Verse 24, do you not know that those who run a race all run, but only one receives the prize, run in such a way that you may win. 
Well, what does an athlete have to do to win? Practice, 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 exercise, exercise. It takes, they, they, they watch their diet and they get out on the track and they practice. And they want to win. They got that attitude. My attitude is, oh, a runner wants to win and they're going to receive a trophy or a wreath at the end of the race. I want, I want to run to win because I know what Jesus has to be on beyond the finish line is my crown. And I want to have that crown because I just want to lay at his feet. It's all said and done. Everyone who competes, verse 25, in the games exercises self-control. There it is, self-control. In all things, they they did do it to receive a perishable week, but we do it a perishable one. That's what we look forward to. Verse 26, therefore I run in such a way as not without aim. I have purpose. I box in such a way as not beating the air. They watch boxers, they're counting how many connecting and how many not. Punches that don't connect don't do anything. But I discipline, there's the word, verse 27. I discipline my body. I discipline my tongue. Break it down a little bit. I discipline where I go. I discipline how I spend my time. What's driving all this? The love of Christ. What's driving all this? The gospel. How loved you are. It's so compelling that you access. Approach life as a marathon runner. Exercise self-control and discipline. In order to persevere during that 26.2 mile marathon run. Try to order your private world around you. Right? We talked about. Let's take a quiet time to stay in time with God. Try to part time for spiritual disciplines. You have a little card with the verses on there to memorize to carry with you, even though it might take you a year to memorize four or five verses. Just keep doing it. Let me wrap all this up. We're not spiritual schizophrenics. We're new creatures in Christ. We are alive in Christ. We're alive in God. The old man is dead. The old man is crucified. What you have discovered now as a believer after you came to Christ was that the old vestiges of sin still hang on. That residue of the old man is not gone. He's still hanging around composing your new desire to follow Christ. Don't be discouraged. Don't be caught off guard. Be encouraged. Work hard. Yes, we'll talk about sanctification. I'll talk about for your salvation. But in your walk for Christ, in your walk with Christ, and with one another, be diligent. Exercise self-discipline. It's the everyday grind of the child of God who desires to be like his master. What does he do? He puts on. He renews his mind and puts on. He starves his flesh. He renews his mind with the word of God because he strives for obedience to the law of Christ. And when you struggle with that, that's a good thing. Because your flesh is like, oh, don't be discouraged. You want to be encouraged. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time today. Father, may these truths of your word be encouraged our hearts and our souls. Christ.